Did you know that there were millions of Civil War portraits made, but only 10,000 documentary photographs that were actually taken during the Civil War? And this is where combat photography was born. Welcome to the long roll. Today we have with us a treat. We have an individual who has found success in this craft, this passion of photography, and no matter where life takes him and where he transitions to, uh, this individual has found incredible success while being a military photographer in the Air Force, winning awards such as the Military Photographer of the Year, which if you don't know what that is, that's like the Pulitzer Prize for us serving in the military services where it's extreme competition, uh, a lot of incredible stories and images, and to stand out like that is uh, a testament to their ability. And then when they decided uh, to step away from serving into the Air Force, they, they found continued success and actually being one of the very few in a prestigious slot as a staff photographer for the New York Times. Um, this continues to inspire me to, uh, to look at what they do and, and to reflect and when it's time for me to step away, try to find that success for myself through the confidence that one of my peers did the same thing. But I'm going to stop rambling. Uh, we have a lot to share. We have a lot to cover. Let's go ahead and introduce Kenny Holston. And Kenny, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Um, it's an honor to be here. Um, I, I love, you know, the entire photojournalism community. Of course, my roots, uh, you know, the military photojournalism community specifically, um, and having had the opportunity over my uh, 13 plus years of uh, active duty service to work with amazing folks like yourself, uh, Benny Davis, Jody Martinez, you know, the list is long. Right. Yeah. Long. That, that's, um, that's some incredible names that um, it's funny too, that you bring those names up. Cause to me, it's like, we all have our own different paths and even like we're in this air force and we're all spread out all over the world, but somehow like a lot of us that are very passionate and that we have this extreme connection to the craft, we all find a way to some somewhat know each other. Maybe not, you know, directly, but it could be like Benny Davis in the third degree, you know, that you know someone that's worked with them and that, you know, uh, we've all been in a way, you know, touched by his greatness and, and tutelage to help craft uh, and to creating uh, impactful images. And so it's it's just really it's awesome to be able to be able to sit here with you today, uh, you know, after some time and and really catch up and and share more, not just with the community, but for me, I'm curious. I'm really curious of how uh, you've gotten to this point, how Kenny has gotten to the point now where he's hanging out with the president, you know, of the United States of America, which uh, I envy. And I, I sit at home and I, I watch from afar and I just. Uh, look at what you continue to to take pictures of and the moments that you create and they they inspire me um so thank you for that and uh but first I, what i like to ask people is do you have any first memories with photography man um you know my first memory with photography i would have to be um like polaroid camera or not i'm sorry not uh polaroid point point kodak point yeah, yeah. <laughs> box cameras like lay laying around um my house when i was younger uh, maybe uh six seven eight years old in, in that time frame and um you know my my mom dad would use them like little trips or whatever we'd go to theme park or something right and they had the yeah take the photos and i i remember i distinctly remember wanting to see the picture but you know you mm -hmm. couldn't see got the film developed and stuff like that and right yeah i'm trying to figure out as a as a young kid you know like how how that works like why i couldn't 
see the photo like you know like you maybe would a polaroid when it would come out of the you know camera yeah and so that's kind of my first memory not uh not very nuanced or anything and not very uh earth shattering but i i remember one like having this deep desire to see the picture right yeah yeah that's that's incredible yeah no it's for me yeah i sort of feel like reflecting back and i think we take it for granted uh sometimes that um how technology has gotten us to this point to where um like even for like i love mirrorless cameras um i love uh in the sense that i can just look through this electronic viewfinder and um I don't need a light meter anymore because it's almost what you see is what you get. Like, I know there's a catch all, like I know SLRs um, have their strengths. And then I know a lot of some mirrorless have their weaknesses that come along with that. But for me, um, I wouldn't say it's laziness. I would say it's through efficiency. Um, If I can sort of take a picture and I already know what it's going to look like as I'm looking through this viewfinder, uh, that's a huge advantage. But also I do think back, I'm like now, uh, it's almost sad in a sense, or maybe it shows we're just getting old, uh, is that there's not a need for the point and shoots. And it's so there's sort of like that experience that like some being able to capture the moment and then have, having to wait, you know, maybe a week or maybe if it gets thrown into a drawer two or three years and then you go get it published. And it's almost like a treasure, a, like a time capsule that you get to unsee and and really reflect when you can look at those pictures again. Did you have any experience similar to that with finding disposables maybe like a year or two or three years later certainly yeah that's a, that's what is just the point i was just about to drive to is you know that you know i was explaining how i would want to see the photo and i felt like it takes so long but then finally whether it was a week later like you mentioned or a year later even um when you finally would get to see the photographs i remember how exhilarating that was and um i think it was that early on obviously without me knowing that like that that made such an impact on me about how important photographs can be and how no matter what you're doing in life right no matter if you're a professional photographer or amateur photographer what people always like if you're explaining a story people like oh like do you have a photo (laughs) always always so uh, you know i think that just drives to the point of how important photographs um have been currently are and always will be um even you know uh no matter how advanced technology gets or anything like that people will always want to see a still photograph in some form right whether it's Mm -hmm. on a smartphone or um, a a digital i mean a a print you know so i think it's awesome so how do you so and talk, going a little bit more into like the advancements in technology and also going back to like a tangible print. Um, do you have um, any kinds of, I guess, do you like getting your stuff still printed now? Um, or do you do any kind of prints for special occasions or do you, or even more so, is there any kind of work that you would like prints of and that would mean a lot more to you than maybe even a digital version that you have saved on your computer? Sure. I mean, I don't, yeah, I, I don't have a lot of, um, I don't have any of my own work printed (laughs) and I don't, at this point, I I don't have a real desire to have, Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I have anything that's particularly worthy of a a print at this point, but there are folks um, who've like reached out to me over the years um, where I've photographed different things. I think the most recent one uh, last year I'd photographed uh, Preakness um, covering it for the times and um, uh ron bauer the horse that won uh somebody reached out really wanted to photograph the you know like horse crossing the finish line things like that. yeah 
And, you know, I thought that that was really cool that they specifically wanted to, you know, uh, get a copy of this photograph so that they could print it and hang it. Like they wanted to see this each day when they would walk into wherever they were going to hang it, right? Their office, their room or whatever. I find that particularly fascinating and of particular value. The other, um, like in terms of prints, like here in our bureau in the Washington DC Bureau for the New York Times, um, we have prints everywhere, all around, like every office space and everything. It's all extremely thoughtful. Uh, I'd say the majority of it are, are Doug Mills photographs, but um, they're all super powerful. And there's, there's, I think, nothing like being able to see a photograph, you know, printed huge with this nice mm -hmm. matte frame hanging on a wall. It really, uh, I think, gives a different type of um, impact than, you know, viewing it digitally. And so yeah. I, I, mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh, value in that. And um, it's it's folks like Doug Mills, Aaron Schaff, um, who's, if I were to get something printed, it, you know, yeah. something that these folks have, have captured, John White, you know, somebody. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. And so, and to me, it's something that you said um, that resonates with me because I, I forget who shared it to, with me and I, I makes me sad. I can't remember who exactly shared this, but um, when I was a young Air Force photographer um, back in my day, uh, it's someone I would just we just go out on shoots and whether whether it's retirement ceremonies or going to the flight line and we're surrounded by hundreds of maintainers and we're just sort of taking their pictures to go check the box so we can go back to the office and and make sure that we get them published so our bosses are happy for the day. And it's sometimes it would feel mechanical and um, but it someone sat down with me at one point and really explain the importance of the value of what we bring into people's lives. Not not just the Air Force's life when we're telling the Air Force's story, but the individuals that are wearing the uniform and, um, and the historical aspect that that's going to have on that family tree's legacy forever. And they're, so the way they broke it down is that this picture that I'm taking of this person, um, you know, by giving it to them, um, it could be two or three or five generations from now, that photo is going to be the only connection that they have to their great, 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 great grandfather or grandmother. Um, and they're going to be able to make that tie based off this image that I took that I'm never going to truly know the impact that it had in people's lives to potentially make decisions to serve in the military themselves or or seek you know an avenue into making connections with family members that they didn't know existed. And I don't know why that hit me so hard, but I really just connected with that. And from that point forward, when I would go out and take pictures, it would be uh, with a little bit more care and thought. And then I would make it a point to try to make sure I gave them the images because it, it's one of those things to where if I had, I think if I had pictures of my uh, grandfather or great grandfather um, or whatever, it doesn't have to be military related, but from, you know, a hundred years ago, whatever it is, uh, to be able to have, make that connection with them that I wouldn't be able to too because families don't have stories to share about them. It would mean it'd be pretty important. Um and so by like people like reaching out and asking for your photos because it means something to them. Uh it's incredible to know like for us it, it feels great in the moment. And then we sometimes we get busy and we forget. But that picture to them, um, they're never going to forget. And it's going to be probably potentially a big part of their family's lives, uh, you know, for as long as that we're here. Certainly. No, you're absolutely right. I think you hit the nail on the head and and uh, kind of going back to earlier points in our conversation, I think that there's um, almost nothing uh, as important 
uh, is that, you know, you have the written word and photographs. And yeah. That transcends everything, I think. And so it does. And I, I what I want to know is, so you started with the disposable cameras and you're growing up and um, as you're going through school and you're going through life, uh, how'd you get to the point that you know that you wanted to uh, one, join the air force or the military and two, did you know, did you go into the air force with a guaranteed photography job or, or is that something that you sort of stumbled upon uh, after you uh, got to basic? Yeah, it was completely stumbled upon. Uh, I did not know growing up that I, uh, a, that I would have, or develop any sort of artistic talent. Uh, I was more of a jock sports guy uh, in in school, junior high, high school, and things like that. Um, my father was in the army, um, so it was kind of oh, like that's a cool. Yeah, yeah, you know, great, great guy, and it was kind of a strict military household, um, which actually drove me in the opposite direction. Like I didn't necessarily want to join the military, but once I um, finished high school um yeah i'd gotten into utsa um down in san antonio and i um had planned to attend but i was really just very very done with uh with school and i was still i was racing bmx at the time i had just turned pro and um so i was racing the pro circuit and stuff like that and i wanted to continue to do that but um that wasn't like a, a very like long-term like viable lifestyle mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> sort of like you either need to um go to school or join the military <laughs> that was pretty much my option so um i chose to join the air force and i had originally joined as a firefighter um wow. but and so yeah and i was I, that's what i wanted to do it's what i had chosen I, I you know i thought that that'd be a good fit for me and as i was going through basic training um you know they do kind of like a second review of our medical records or whatever mm -hmm. and um they had missed it the first time but in my records um that showed that I had had a stress fracture in my lower back at, at one point during my childhood. And that disqualified me from being able to be a firefighter. Oh, wow. So they kind of just put me in a bucket with um, other airmen that were like open general, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, kind of doled out jobs. And um, the, the job that I ended up getting was, was basic still photography. And I remember being like pretty salty at the time. Like, <laughs> yeah. What the heck is this? You know? and, yeah whatnot um feeling like it would be uh, maybe like a mundane kind of almost desk job at which and i wanted the opposite you know mm -hmm. but come to find out it's the absolute best job that you right. can possibly get in the middle right of yeah or, or anywhere else for that matter in my opinion and um and it kind of went from there um for me i got you know i went through technical training school along with everyone else and i found myself really struggling with the the whole photography bit i didn't understand um, the, the, the camera or why or how, and, uh, even the simplest stuff, leading lines and all that was very, very hard for me to like understand and put together mm -hmm. image. And, um, what really drove me to get better, um, at the craft was upon arriving at my first duty station, um, a, a senior airman, senior airman Sheffield, who was my boss, uh, at the time, uh, explained that I could, potentially promote quicker if I was out like making great photographs and doing good work and you know um being able to highlight the commander's agenda and stuff like that yeah. with, with my images and so for whatever reason like that sparked me to like really try to get better at the craft so I could do exactly that and upon 
trying to get better for those reasons, um, I started to find out as, as I was like learning the camera and stuff like that and, and actually starting to make thoughtful pictures, I began to find out that I that there was an inner passion for the work and that um, like I started to realize how far I could go in terms of driving to the heart of people's stories and really telling like stories about these airmen who are either working these long hours or having mm. these in their dorm why and how like you could really tackle so much yeah right one tool and upon you know be, beginning to understand that and stuff um you know like the passion for the work grew bigger and bigger and um you know i just kind of really embraced it and got my arms around it and and you know like went from there that's really incredible. And to me, I'm like right now really reflecting because a lot of your story uh, and how you got to the Air Force feels a lot like mine. Um, and no, I haven't shared this with a lot of people, but yeah, both my parents were in the Marine Corps. Uh, and so my mom, you'd never know, she got, she separated after 11 years and wow. she's one of the sweetest women on the planet. You'd never know she was in the Marine Corps. Uh, my dad, he was uh, the stereotypical Marine. Like he yelled at us until we cried. And then he told us he loved us afterwards. It's, you know, it's, it's, it creates a unique environment to a good cop, bad cop in the house. And sure. that got me to the point to where um, a lot of that was like, one, I didn't want to join the military, but two, he was off in desert storm, I think. And uh, he was on patrol and a telephone wire fell down. He got electrocuted from the telephone wire. And it was a miracle that he even survived uh, and I think he spent, I, I was young, um, but he spent like well over a year, I think, in Germany at Ramstein rehabilitating because uh, he was paralyzed. Um, he didn't have any feeling in his body. And it got to the point to where he could come home, where he was moving again, but he didn't have any feeling in his body whatsoever. Um, but to me, like growing up, that those were sort of identifying things. One, I already felt like I did 18 years in the Marine Corps, uh, having a father, you know, like that. And two, um, I was like the fear of, uh, bodily harm um, coming home. And that sort of was like a deterrent that I knew the Marine Corps wasn't going to be for me. But I eventually got to the point where I, like, I wanted to join the Air Force and I thought I was going to be a loadmaster. And I had a contract uh, to be a loadmaster, but getting to basic, they ended up losing the contract. I go to sit down with a job counselor and they're like, you have nothing. We have something here showing that you signed something, but we don't have evidence of anything else. So you can go home or you can go and open general. And so for a lot of y'all who don't know or understand what that means, essentially is you're getting thrown into a whole cluster of very generalized careers. They're all very important, but they're all generalized to where they're going to fit you where they need you. That could be uh, security forces or a military policeman. Uh, that could be you're working at the gym or you're working at the DFAC or the chow hall. Um, again, there's a bunch of different things, but it, it's none as exciting as being a firefighter or being a loadmaster where you're jumping on a plane, hopping all around the world. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I didn't know until the day uh, after we graduated where you're sitting in a line with people that you're supposed to fly out with. And I asked them, I'm like, what are you going to be? Uh, and, and I asked Jonathan Snyder. And uh, he's like, I, I, I'm gonna be a, I'm gonna be a photographer. And I asked other people, they're gonna be a videographer. And I was like, that's cool. I'm gonna be one of you. And uh, you know, I'll figure it out when I get there. And the, but then I went through the same motions. I had an extreme struggle um, going through school because for me, I was like, it was more tedious than anything. I was like, you want me to go take 50 photos of leading lines, or like, and to me, I framing didn't make any sense. 
I get someone to stand like in a box and they're like, that's not framing. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be here. I don't get it. And, uh, and so, but then, yeah, I had a great mentor that came in, Eric Scheller, uh, into uh, Ielson Air Force Base, Alaska, middle of nowhere. And uh, he really changed my life uh, and opened the door to where I saw photography in a different way uh, to where it, without him, I definitely wouldn't be uh, where I'm at today with uh, the community uh, that's around me. So again, it's it's crazy to sort of see our, our paths parallel and in unique ways at the beginning. Um, and so as you're going through, as you're going through your career, um, I know it's another cliche question, but um, did you go on any deployments? Or, and, and like, how were those, those, those experiences for you? Certainly. Yeah. I, I had uh, my share of deployments, um, uh, some were traditional, you know, Afghanistan outside the wire on patrol. Um, I was just embedded with um, <clears throat> infantry folks and and things like that. That was, you know, like particularly um, wild some days and and mm -hmm. other days, it was, you know, um, very boring and just hot. Uh, you know, we sustained, you know, like photographed um, when we'd sustain casualties and things like that. And so we, you know, did that bit. Um, other deployments though, were a little bit less traditional, the way that you would think of deployments. I was, I was, for example, I was deployed to, um, armed forces, medical examiner system, AFMES, uh, down in Dover air force base. Um, and they work in conjunction with, uh, AFMEO, the air force mortuary affairs on the AFMES side, the side that I was on, um, I worked in tandem each day with a pathologist doing um, autopsy photography, um, and then all of my photographs would be rolled up into the pathologist's report. And so what a lot of people don't know is anyone in any branch of service who is killed in action, um, you know, their remains are, are brought back to Dover Air Force Base and and we, you know, the images that we're used to seeing are the flag draped casket coming off of the, the C-17 or C-5. And um, beyond that, what usually, uh, or what occurs after that, after we see that is um, on the AFME side of things, um, we actually take, you know, the flag off the casket and go inside and take the remains out. And um, every step of that process to include the actual autopsy, um, has to be photographed um, in, in a very detailed forensic manner. Um, so I, I did that for, for quite some time at AFMES. And um, it was, uh, again, an untraditional deployment. Mm -hmm. but, um, one of the uh, quote-unquote deployments that I think sticks with me the most. And you know, I, I actually did that work on the back end of having done the work downrange, you know, the tr more traditional. Wow. Yeah. So it was kind of like a, a full circle situation, uh, you know, for, for me. Um, and I, you know, I, th I certainly know that I'm a, a better person and better uh, photographer for it. Um, but, but also was, uh, some extremely challenging times along the way, as, as, as you could imagine. Yeah, know that. Um, I've always heard about assignment like that. And to me, uh, picturing myself in the position um, sounds very uh, challenging. Uh, it sounds very stressful, but uh, I definitely understand the value and the importance that comes along with that. And for you to have the capacity and the availability, 
the ability uh, to continue to do it day in day out because um, you know the importance of what that is and what that means uh, is incredible. Um, and if there's any, you know, young airmen or DOD military service members out there, um, could you share a little bit more about why, if like if the opportunity comes up um, for them, uh, why it might be a good thing for them to do it or um, maybe what might help prepare them uh, to be successful in navigating an assignment like that? Certainly. Yeah, no, thank you for that question. I, you know, the the big thing. Uh, about that assignment for me at the time was the lack of awareness. Like I even, you know, like my superintendent at the time wasn't particularly sure what they were like sending me to go do yeah, and things like that. And I tried to reach out to a few people and, and to, to get an idea of what was going on. And everyone uh, kept thinking that it was the like uh, AFMEO, the multi-layer mm -hmm. the flag drag casket come off the plane type stuff. And uh, turns out that it absolutely was not. And so my advice for uh, any service member who is uh, going to approach that work is, is A, um, build your network out as, as wide as possible. Reach out to the folks who are already there on the ground, not just photographers, but the, you know, the pathologists who are there, whoever the uh, commander or vice commander is, if you could get on their calendar, you know, speak with them so that you could have a uh, particularly in-depth understanding of the work before you approach it. That way, you know, as, as a person and as a service member, if you could get the job done or not. The, the reason I was sent there um, in the first place was because the folks who were assigned there were going through a, um, a med board process because of uh, having worked mm -hmm. there, having yeah. done that work for so long and uh, a lack of uh, mental health resources at that time, back back then, this is like 2013, mm -hmm. um, our mental health system in the service at that particular point in time wasn't- uh, As nearly as robust yeah, as nearly the as efforts as that they're putting in now, yeah. Right, and uh, we there was definitely still a lot of stigma of like, hey, suck it up and get out there as opposed mm -hmm. to you need help. And um, so those folks were on the ground, which were all amazing, all amazing service members. Um, we're going through a med board process. And when you're going through that, um, they have to kind of redline you from doing the, the work, even though these folks still wanted to keep driving and, 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 you know, pull their weight, they had to be kind of put on the sidelines and that left a shortage um, there at Dover. And, and that's where they plugged me in. Um, and so knowing whether or not you can handle the work and knowing how long they'd like you to do the work and stuff like that um, is particularly beneficial. And I would say, you know, if I, again, if I were to offer any advice is to is kind of fill in those um, holes and, and and get the full picture of what you're going to do and understand the full scope of the mission um, before you try to plug in there. And then mm -hmm. once you are there, if you do decide to take it, um, my advice is to have check-ins with whomever it is you can talk to and trust uh, regularly. I mean, if it needs to be daily, hourly, whatever, you know, um, just to, for yourself, for your family, you know, people who care about you have these check-ins because it, it is, it's a heavy lift, you know, and um, if, if we're not good to go up here, then we're likely, um, you know, kind of half-stepping on, on the mission, which is the last thing you want to do for, uh, for, for any mission, you know? So. Yeah. Even for yourself, like long-term, 
And like, I know I've like, I know that we know and to share with uh, people that uh, aren't super aware of like what we do as military photographers, but uh, you know, a lot of it is documenting the mission, a lot of it, you know, doing deployments, documenting stuff around base. But a part of our job too, is if um, anyone uh, ever takes their life or if there's ever a murder on a base, uh, if there's anything like that, a domestic abuse, um, uh, or an assault, anything of that nature, we're always called in and we have to take pictures of it. And, um, it's, it's one of those things to where everything that you expressed is important, um, definitely to have at your local level. But I think, um, it's like, for me personally, I think I, I, I was able to walk into situations that were very challenging and difficult and put, um, I knew I was going to be there a limited time. I could almost use my equipment and my camera as like a buffer and a security blanket between me to where I could, I, the way I would get through it. And I'm not saying this is the right thing to do, but I'd almost pretend like I'm walking onto a movie set. I go speak to like an on-scene commander. All right. What are the images you need? And I would pretend like it's a movie set, like it isn't real. Um, I would take the pictures so I could focus on getting the stuff they would need to do to do an investigation or whatever they need for the mission. And I would leave. But I would say it's a completely different level knowing because those things are spontaneous. They're not every day. They're not frequent. Um, and so but again, I'm not saying that they're any easier, but I would say it would be a lot more challenging to know that if your primary job waking up every morning was doing what you did, uh, everything that you expressed, I hope that people would seek and and create that foundation on to uh, try to create a successful uh, time while they're performing doing that mission. So thank you for sharing that. And I hope, again, this is uh, super helpful. I, it definitely will be super helpful to someone who hears this when that opportunity arises. Certainly. No, thank you. Yeah. And so moving forward some too, I know, um, and you were still serving. And in 2015, I'm sitting in Texas, I'm working for national marketing and I'm seeing uh, you run around uh, telling incredible stories throughout the Baltimore, Washington area. Um, can you express uh, and share more of what you were doing and what inspired you to go out and tell and these stories that were happening around you? Certainly. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, at the time, I was stationed at Shaw Air Force Base in South Carolina. Oh wow! And I just, uh, I just happened to be in in Maryland um, in in 2015 uh, when I looked up at this uh, TV screen that had you know newscast on, and it showed uh, you know pictures of basically uh, West Baltimore burning down, um, and. Uh, <clears throat> This was, uh, you know, a, a result of um, police brutality and nature mm -hmm. and uh, lots of turmoil in that regard. And um, the thing, you know, that alone obviously um, spurred me to want to go out and contribute in some way to coverage of this to show, um, you know, just simply what's occurring and then bring these images back to um, you know, not just a military audience, but any audience to let these, to let the folks whomever might view this work decide for themselves as to what they might think about police brutality or not, or what, or if, yeah. if even that and, and things of that nature. And the, um, obviously at the time, like I said, I was still serving. So the 
for me, the military component to that was uh, there was a big um, National Guard presence um, during this uh, <clears throat> during this rioting and looting and uh, protesting and um, and things. And so, um, you know, in that regard, I was also spurred. I was like, you know, we on the military side of things should be documenting how our servicemen and women are stepping up um, re regardless of how they feel about mm -hmm. um, you know, this complex situation. And, um, you know, they're headed out to, you know, go do their jobs. Um, yeah. So with all of that, you know, uh, combined, uh, you know, I just really felt compelled to be out there. Um, so I did, I, you know, I went out, I went out and, um, down to West Baltimore, like almost like right to where the, the very, uh, point on the television that I'd seen burning kind of wild. Like, yeah. It's right there. And then just kind of embedded myself, uh, with the, um, uh, protesters that were there on the ground. Um, you know, I was, real open about who I was like, um, a military photojournalist, um, trying to document, you know, what's going on. And, um, yeah, like some, uh, there didn't, did not want me there. Others didn't care either way and, and things like that. But I just kind of, um, tried to be smart about the work and try yeah. to approach it in a safe way, but also you know, in a way that I could bring back the rawest photographs possible to, again, you know, show, um, whomever would care to view them. And uh, it was challenging, you know, certainly challenging work. Um, but it was, again, work that uh, I felt needed to be done. And I just, you know, kept going for it. So for, I know, because uh, I'm a definitely showcase uh, this work, because again, like the imagery is uh to me captivating it's very like i think you definitely captured the raw uh most uh real uh side of what was what's happening uh in baltimore when you were there um and to me it's like just seeing the pictures are scary and i know there's going to be a lot of young photographers uh, that listen to this and they're going to go look up uh what you produced um during that time you were there but how um but in order to like help provide them i guess ways to navigate this successfully if they seek uh these opportunities if they come up in the future um because we know they probably will they always happen uh in any country and not just america but they could be in a different country in uh like france or um like in Ukraine. Um, and so how did you keep yourself safe? Did you have sort of a, a process or a limit um, that you had internally in your head where like, okay, um, this is sort of like the line for me that, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself at risk, or I feel like this is going to be a risk, too big of a risk for myself for an image that's not, you know, potentially worth my health or safety. Certainly, you know, the the big thing for me, particularly um, in covering that was the fact that I did have such extensive uh, military training prior to approaching this, you know, as you know, and as many know, uh, service members um, get all sorts of generalized training and then specialized training. And uh, throughout my career, I just happened to have been in situations where I hadn't only gotten that generalized uh, training, but also different types of specialized training and to be able to not only protect myself, but defend myself and mm -hmm. defend others if it came down to it and, and, and things of that nature and, and doing this without, uh, being able to do this without any, um, uh, 
type of weapons of my own in terms of like a, a gun or something like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Cameras and whatnot. So knowing that I had that, uh, you know, the training and, and stuff like that, I felt comfortable in, in approaching the work. Um, but to answer like kind of the second half of your question, like w- at what point do you stop? I, you know, I think that threshold is different for everyone. And I also think that threshold is, is, um, based on the need for the coverage mm-hmm. and for whomever you're working for. So yeah. for me at that point in time being is that, um, I didn't have a specific, um, superintendent or commander or something that sent me out on that as kind of a self-generated, yeah. assignment. um, uh, the, the, the threshold was, was pretty low for when I would stop, you know, if I, um, w- were to be, you know, uh, struck by people or surrounded or something and it got kind of dicey and I was able to get out of that situation, I would have likely g- called it quits after that and not keep pushing the, the yeah. um, because at that point for the capacity that I was working in at that time, it wouldn't have been worth continuing to try to, to mm-hmm. make pictures. Um, whereas, you know, now, um, as as a staff photographer at the New York Times, if my photo editor assigns me, you know, to go cover something like that, um, it, it would be a lot different um, because the need and uh, the uh, for for the photographs and what we are what we try to do as a publication and stuff like that um, really allows us a lot of um, or I guess gives us a lot of latitude as photographers to keep pushing the envelope obviously even the new york times wants us to be safe we Mm -hmm. anybody to get hurt ever and we have a lot of protocols and fixers and and things like that in line that that do help us stay safe but um i guess the point i'm trying to make here is you know the the threshold and capacity for when you you like like dive in further maybe pull back a little bit is i think different based on the capacity that you might be working in and your your own background and training that you have in uh, conjunction with the situation that you're happen to be working in yeah no that's perfect advice i think um i think i know it might seem commonplace to us but for someone first starting out uh, who doesn't know any better it's and now they they can seek you know what are those limitations they can seek what you know what are the protocols and what are those things that if they might not necessarily be working for an organization they can create for themselves before they just walk into it you know and and avoid a kind of helmet fire like what do i need to do next so uh, just being able to give people that guidance to have a plan going in and and knowing those limitations of why you're there and what you're there to do are super important um and so it seems like with that and the work you did, which was incredible for that, and and with the Air Force, um, a couple of years later, you um, you're still in the Air Force, and then you get to the point where you're going to start to transition uh, away from the Air Force active duty life and uh, pursue your freedom away from that. Which again, I know all everyone in the military envies when you get your your freedom and you can pursue, um, you know, without having to wake up and do CBTs and uh, a bunch of other, you know, taking out the trash every day. Um, but was uh, was that? part of your uh, influence to where when you decided to step away um, in the work that you did independently that 
Um, again, it was to help support and showcase military service members doing their part. Um, but also, um, it wasn't like a traditional military photographer were stuck on an installation. Just it's primarily majority all DOD and civilian personnel. Did that influence you to continue to stay in this area or and to tell the stories and pursue photography on the outside? Um, you know, I my uh, my pursuit of photography on the outside and, and my, uh, transition away from the service, um, primarily came from the fact that, um, the air force needed needs still, um, a specific type of service member, um, to effectively, uh, get the mission done regardless of what that mission is. And, for me, you know, I'd gotten to the point where I was not that specific service member anymore. Mm -hmm. And my vision and goals um, didn't necessarily align with uh, the, the vision and goals that the Air Force had for me anymore. Uh, and, you know, it, things had kind of come to a head where it was really time for me to transition. I had a good run. Um, like I said, it was 13 plus years of service and um it was it was kind of just time for me to transition out of the military another big part of that is you know a lot of the military photojournalism work is kind of a, a heavy like pr based type yeah stuff. yeah it's all very strategic communications right strategic communication mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. and I, I really wanted to uh you know also pursue um just kind of a more traditional photo photojournalism you know yeah. so it was a d bunch of different factors that led to me making uh the decision to get out and um and so I did in April of 2019 transitioned out and then knowing that I wanted to uh again pursue uh traditional like photojournalism work um I, you know, my last duty station was Joint Base Andrews. So I thought, hey, there's no better place <laughs> to be <laughs> uh, if you're going to try to start work as a freelance photographer uh, than Washington, D.C., uh, just based on the amount of work that is yeah. for, for a freelancer. Um, so I, it was certainly a scary move um, and one that kind of came upon me quickly um, with uh, different uh, the way that different things were, again, that were the way things were going, sorry, in my career at the time and stuff like that. Um, but I knew that there, you know, if I was going to try to make things work in the industry mm -hmm. on this side, then um, I had to go in like full force and, yeah. um, you know, just jump off that ledge and, and really get after it. And so, uh, so I decided again, stay in the DC area and pursue freelance uh, work. So how was, um, Again, that mindset to me is incredible. Um, and I know this is potentially going to help a lot of uh, people, you know, separating in the military with trying to create a stronger foundation of how they're thinking going forward. Um, what what do you think it is with you uh, to where you're just like, I'm just I'm going to hop in full force. Um, you know, you might have fears, but you sort of met, I, I don't know if you push them to the back of your head, but you're like, you know, what is it within you? Like, I need to do this and I need to go 100%, uh, to be able to create success for me away from the air force for the next chapter of my life. Um, you know, for me, I just saw it as, as very kind of 
black and white. I saw, you know, on one side, I saw where I could um, just kind of take a, a more normal route, use my uh, GI Bill and go to school. And so I'd be kind of funded in that way. And, you know, um, which is not a bad path if that's what you want to do and um, kind of have a, a more, uh, I guess, clear path forward. Uh, or I could really pursue uh, my dream and have a, a more muddled path and unclear as to how I'm going to get there, but just chase it down uh, like dogged pursuit every day uh, uh, towards this dream and this goal. Um, and I, I, I chose that path. And, you know, I have to say that every single day I was terrified uh, because, you know, one wrong move could lead to catastrophic failure and like homelessness uh, essentially you know wow yeah um, that's yeah and then I, I, who wants that nobody wants no, that. that's scary just thinking to myself that's scary and so like how so tell me a little bit more how it was like you you dive in what does that look like so you're you're committing 100 percent um how do you start to reach out um to people to see you know if they need work done or did you you know did you i know with like alexis and i think says like you do family some some people would take family photos or they shoot weddings or you know they're fine essentially whatever you know to pay the bills as they then grow to the point to where they're telling incredible stories or they're doing some of the world's best commercial work and so what was that like for you navigating and creating that network to where you got where you landed at the new york times Certainly. So, uh, you know, it's a great question. Um, and it was one that at the time when I was getting out of the service, uh, I didn't have any answers to. What I realized as I was getting out of the service is that um, as, as as great as the military is, the one thing specific to our career field that we don't ever really get to learn about is how to operate in the industry should you choose to down the road, right? Whether you do 20 years of service and then you want to work in the industry or whether you do four years and you get out, there's no real, um, you know, training or, or, or information that they really give to us as to specifically how to work as a photojournalist in the industry. So when I got out, I, while I thought, um, you know, having a great portfolio and, 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 and sharing that around and, and whatever would get me work, that certainly was not the case. Um, I like having a decent portfolio and sharing it around didn't get me any work at all. And I remember um, at that time uh, talking to my buddy, Jensen Stidham, you know, Jensen, mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, and having this conversation with him, like, hey man, what? Like now I'm out here. He was, <laughs> still, he was still in the service at the time. And like, now I'm out here, I like finding out that I really don't know much at all about the industry. Like, can you help me get my arms around this? And so him and I kind of worked in tandem as to like literally just understand industry, like what it, what it means to be a like working freelance photojournalist. Like, what does that look like? And what does it mean? And whatever. And uh, so between information that he gathered and I gathered, whatever, we started to kind of understand how things work and that um, the one huge thing um, that I learned in that process was that I had to talk to photo editors, not necessarily other yeah. photographers. Talking to other photographers is, is particularly great and they mm -hmm. can to the photo editors. Yeah. But it's the photo editor who is going to actually like assign you work and send you out and get mm -hmm. you. And so um Aaron Schaff, who, who's also a staff photographer here at the New York Times, 
um, she, I ran into her. She was out shooting, um, covering Black Lives Matter stuff, you know, and uh, I was out as well, but I wasn't uh, necessarily on assignment for anyone. I was just trying to like keep my portfolio fresh and keep working and things like that. And um, I ran into Erin. I'd never met her in person before, but I was familiar with her work. And um, we had this conversation and whatnot. And um, she uh, eventually was like, hey, you know, she was like, literally like while we were standing there, like kind of looking through my Instagram and, and whatnot. She's like, this is like, you do really great work. Like, this is pretty solid. How would you like to work for the New York Times? I was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, what? Yeah, um, like, let me think about it. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Like, it's a no-brainer. So um, she was so super kind and passed my name along to uh, Marissa Schwartz-Taylor, um, her photo editor, um, who's now my photo editor. And, um, and, and after a few weeks, Marissa gave me a call and um, actually gave me my first assignment and so um you know but get, getting to that point uh was particularly challenging simply because you don't know what you don't know and yeah. I didn't you know initially didn't know uh, what like who to reach out to or mm -hmm. where to go, like and, and things like that and and so that was hard and so now anybody that I talk to um the first thing i tell them is like you need to talk to you got to talk to a photo editor like mm -hmm. i will, I will <laughs> the photo editors but yeah the actual photographer like whomever it is whether a staffer or not um isn't going to like assign you work you know yeah, and, yeah. Or, like get you on the team necessarily like it's got to be the photo editor even if that photographer takes your name back to um whoever it is at the photo editor's discretion whether or not they're going to show interest and in, in things like that and i just didn't know any of that you know initially yeah. um and so after learning that stuff like that was a tremendous help and and things and I, so yeah and then of course there's always you know like make good pictures do do work hard you know show up early stay late and all that stuff yeah so there's a trait that i've been noticing um as doing sitting down with um a lot of you very talented uh highly skilled photographers there's this trait that i'm seeing from every single one of y'all to where it's just one you're operating to a capacity that you're going to do something without knowing anything about it and i think that's a tangible that i think is important to any young photographer or someone that wants to get into this field uh, to set fear aside and i think because again not, not to say you didn't have fears not to say that cesar alexis or jason um didn't have fears um when just jumping in head first literally and figuratively um it's but it's ha just not getting in your own way and i think sometimes too um it's not knowing is almost a good thing because it makes you operate at a level to where if you don't know where the bounds are, you're going to push through and create that opportunity and uh, and provide that that uh, essentially fall into your lap to where you run across someone who you know that introduces you to a photo editor that um, gives you the ability to to operate and and get a job that is prestigious and amazing. And I think what I've also learned, like working with the Eddie Adams Workshop, is that's something that is huge. Um, I know I didn't take advantage and maybe not like you as well and the other military members, because like we go to the workshop as military members and then we go back and we have a paid job and we're just taking the experiences and we're more focused on like the, the connections and network as friends than necessarily opportunities for jobs because we're, we're secure, you know, we're, we're trained that way, but something that I've seen um, when, and focus more on like people that aren't in the military that go is if you have the opportunity in your 
selected the access to some of the world's and the industry's top photo edit editors and and producers are there. So a, a week at this workshop essentially cuts four to six years off of like your professional time in the field from getting these connections and providing you opportunities to get real paying jobs and, and, and what you're striving to do as a full-time full-fledged career. Um, and so like talking about a little bit more about the Adams, Eddie Adams workshop, uh, what was that experience like for you? What did, what did it mean to you uh, when you were able to go? Uh, I mean, it meant the world to me primarily because like on the surface, just out the gate, uh, just the prestige. Um, mm -hmm. So when prior to even attending, after having gotten accepted, I you know, like would just tell folks, I remember uh, telling Justin Pyle, you know, like, oh, like I got into the Eddie Adams workshop and he like fell off his stool. He's like, oh, yeah. amazing, you know, like, oh my God. And I, it's funny because at the time I understood that it was a big deal, but I, I, you know, I didn't really understand like how big a deal until I talked to folks like him and, and Benny and things. And uh, they're like, no, like, Kenny, this is, this is really great, you know, and stuff. And I was like super stoked to go. So like, that was that on the surface, but beyond that, you know, it's everything that you kind of just mentioned it was the opportunity to make connections and learn things that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten to learn or talk about um, inside of our military photojournalism circle. So like kind of being able to break out of that mm -hmm. yeah. and, and talk about how the industry works and stuff like that. Clearly, I didn't take away enough from it uh, when I attended, because when I got out of the service, you know, I, like I was just talking about, I was really um, like kind of trying to figure it out at first. Um, but yeah, I think if, you know, if you attend, whether you're a, a service member, member attending or, or a civilian, there's so many takeaways. And if you have a way to um, kind of harness some of those takeaways, and even if you file it away for, for later on in your career, it is particularly helpful. Like you said, it, it cut off, mm -hmm. uh, cut, cuts off five or six years of work that you'd have to do. Um, by just getting to attend this this one workshop and meeting some of the um, most prominent people in the industry. And uh, it, I find that one, particularly fascinating, but two, um, just so amazing that we have something like this. And I obviously not everyone gets to attend, but mm -hmm. if you are one of the fortunate folks like you and mm -hmm. I have gotten to attend um, it's, it's something that will stay with you for a lifetime, even again, even just the mention of it now, even as a staff photographer, like people always still ask like, Oh, did you ever go to Eddie Adams? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then they ask, how was it? I'm like, actually it was great. It was, it was mm -hmm. amazing. One of the best workshops I've ever done. So. No, it's yeah. It's uh, and there's a lot of energy that goes into creating, um, it's all about the students when they arrive and it's the energy and the uh, effort that gets put into trying to create the best experience that they can have. Uh, I don't think it can, the bar can be raised anymore. There's such care and dedication from everyone involved. And, and like what I've seen too, and sitting down um, with like what we're talking about is like Jason uh, who I interviewed first uh, for this podcast is like, he, um, like there was COVID hit and he was just uh, doing some work in Florida covering the Manatees. And because of a connection that he made at the Adams workshop, they introduced his work uh, and to Nat Geo 
Um, and to where now he's traveling all over the world covering Nat Geo stuff. And the same for like Alexis to where I went in 2010, I think, 20, not 2009 or 2010. It's all like blending together now. I'm but sure. um, I had I had Al Bello and Brad Smith as uh, the team leaders. And then the next year, it was the, actually the following year, Alexis went to the workshop and he had Brad Smith and uh, Al Bello. And, but he got, to, for him not being in the military, he actually got some of his first like real, really great feedback uh, in photography from Al. And then to the point to where uh, also meeting Brad at the workshop got him to where he was shooting uh, for Sports Illustrated and everything else. And so again, if you're, uh, a college student or a young professional um, that you know, maybe you haven't applied or maybe you applied once and you got rejected and I'll let you know, like everyone gets rejected. Uh, so it, but it's worth it um, to where apply, apply again. And sometime life is about luck and timing and, and you're going to have that work that really speaks to that judge or that panel that selects your portfolio. And you're going to get access to people that again, will, will get you to where you aspire to be by just having that connection with them. Definitely not. And so thank you for sharing that. And so I know I've had you for a while and I know you're a busy guy, uh, but I do have one final question before we go. Uh, but do you have a favorite photo, a favorite photo series? It doesn't have to be yours. At, um, it doesn't have to, you know, it can be anything. And But do you have a favorite photo? Oh, man. I, you know, it's uh, just such a tough question. There's so many yeah. mm -hmm. that I that I love uh, of other people's work. Um, I, I personally don't have a favorite photo that I've taken. I just feel like I haven't taken it yet. Um, yeah. But I, I hope to <laughs> one, one day. Um, you know, but for now, maybe not so much um, a picture or a set of pictures that I particularly love the most, but um, photographers who like I'm currently following, who I've followed, some who I've followed and some who I'm currently following, um, some of which are, you know, one photographer who I've always followed, who I mentioned early on is Doug Mills. Um, and a, a big part of that for me is just because of his longevity and ability to continue to, you know, lead the industry with, you know, just earth shattering photographs. So just today on the front page of the New York Times, he has this photograph of Donald Trump, you know, and, and in conjunction with the headline of uh, Trump being indicted and, and things like that. And it's, you know, just uh, such a poignant and prominent image and you know doug has been doing this for years and years and years and so he's a you know uh, obviously a colleague of mine but also a photographer who i've followed long before um i was i was doing any work for the new york times or, or anything like that um and then there's so many others a freelance photographer who uh i currently follow who's i think doing really amazing cutting-edge work is nathan howard um, he is based here in DC and does work everywhere. And I mean, he just has a way with, um, <clears throat> uh, making interesting photographs in what are otherwise, you know, mundane situations. And, uh, I just, I, you know, I'm inspired, um, by that, you know, every single day. And there's so many others. I mean, the list goes on and on and on to just kind of in a nutshell, those two folks. And then, I always, always mention Aaron Schaff for numerous reasons. Obviously, um, she was so, so kind to me when I was just trying to, you know, make my way in this industry. But beyond that, I think her work, 
Um, and, you know, she was covering the Hill for the New York Times, covering Congress for the Times. And now I cover Congress for the Times and she's doing national and international work. But her work was so important to me, her and Steve Crowley, because covering Congress is a um, it's a such a challenge, you know, to cover lawmakers every day. And uh, they both found a, a way to do it. Uh, that's just, in my mind, very, very fascinating and, and mind-blowing. And so I'm still trying to find my way in that regard, but um, they've really carved out a path that's been um, particularly in inspiring. And so, um, yeah, in a nutshell, those are kind of some of the folks that I that I follow and appreciate, and, um, and I'm always grateful for their work. And then tons and tons and tons of other, you know, all of our colleagues, mm -hmm. the folks yeah. I mentioned early on are, you know, our, our military colleagues and things like that is, I mean, the lists are, are endless. It's truly. vast for sure. You know, and I love this question because again, it's not only get to learn a little bit more about you, but I get to learn about different names I'm not familiar with. And so I get to go uh, on Google afterwards and look up theirs and start favoriting, uh, you know, some of their photos and saving it to where I can really dive deeper later on and, uh, you know, and, and just really take it in. And, uh, but amazing answer. Uh, I loved it. And, um, before we go, though, I always like to ask, do you have any parting words of wisdom uh, that you'd like to share with anyone? Certainly. I think, you know, um, again, I, everyone knows I'm, I'm still particularly young in my career as it relates to like my, my civilian photography career. Um, and I feel very fortunate to be on the, the New York Times staff that the if I were from my perspective today, if I were able to offer um, any advice or parting words, um, it would be to continuously push the envelope. If the path on the left seems harder, it's probably the correct path and go ahead and go down it. Um, you know, no matter how scary it might seem or, or um, how challenging it might be, head down that path. When you stumble, reach out for help, you like build, build out your network, talk to people. And then in tandem with all that, um, be humble, you know, be willing to say like, I didn't make a good photograph today. Uh, that that's really my line. Most days and my photo editors will be like, you know, we had high hopes for you. <laughs> but, uh, it's looking bleak, you know, and, and <laughs> there's tomorrow, there's always yeah, tomorrow. There's tomorrow, you know? <laughs> so, um, that, that's a lot of days for me. Um, but I just, you know, they keep sending me out and I keep going and I, I keep wanting to go. And that would be my advice to anyone. Just keep, keep wanting to do the work. And as long as you have the desire and the passion to be out there, you'll, you'll find yourself uh, making photographs that, um, that the world cares about and, and that you care about. And uh, yeah, that's, I'll kind of leave it there. Awesome. No, I love that. That's amazing. I think that is definitely a great place to leave it. And again, thank you. Thank you for making time for today. You're a busy guy. You got to hang out with the president today. Um, and I know you're going to do have a busier Friday and weekend than me, but Again, Kenny, thank you for being here. Certainly. No, thank you, man. Really. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.